0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be in the house. Amen. Amen. Looking like a little rainy out, but sun's coming. Whether the sun comes or not, come on, he's here. You know, it's easy to, like so many things in life, just take it for granted. Sometimes spending time with people, going to church, a lot of the best things in life, it's just easy to overlook and take for granted to sit in an atmosphere of worship like this with an incredible worship team. Come on, y'all thankful for our worship teams at all of our campuses. Come on, show them some love. You just need to determine every time you're in church, I'm gonna get all I can and can all I get. Lord, I want you to fill me and change me. I don't wanna just sit in a building. I wanna sit in your presence. I don't wanna just go back to the mess. I wanna go back changed. God can do that. How many people's ever experienced God do that? Come on, people know he's not done yet? He's not done in you. He's not done with us. He's not done yet. So put your faith out there. Believe God's gonna speak to you today in Jesus' name. Well, again, excited for another week of Fight Club. This is a series we started a few weeks ago, and the conversation we're having is that God made everything. God created everything in the beginning. He made it all good. He made it perfect. And when he made humanity, when he made Adam and Eve our first parents, He gave them five things. Everybody say five things. Five things. And we're talking about those five things while we often spend a lot of time and energy and effort fighting over things that sometimes don't matter. We spend a lot of energy on things that really don't move the ball, don't change anything in our life. There are five things that you should be fighting for because it's the five that God created us for. It's what he wired us for. It's when he sees that we operate in him, when we have him, when we walk him, like that's really what paradise looks like. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And while at the end of the day, that's salvation, salvation is a life change. And so God calls us back to fight for the five. And so the five are principles, people, provision a place, a purpose. It's this idea, and what we talked about week one was you know, this, uh, there are the rules for engagement. There's some things you should fight and there's a way you should fight, and you need to know that in your fight, you have a spiritual enemy. It's the same way God has five that he wants you to fight for. There's an enemy that doesn't want you to experience that. He doesn't want the life that Jesus came, us, came to bring us, so he's gonna fight you for the five. And Last week, we talked about fighting for the principles or fighting for our faith, and I would encourage you if you weren't here to go back and listen to that lean into that conversation, it's a big topic. Some of you are struggling with your faith and walking away from your faith, or maybe you're sitting here and you have questions, and it's okay to have questions, you just need to get good answers, and don't let the enemy steal your faith from you. Today, I wanna talk about fighting for your family. And I just want you to know right out of the gate, as your pastor, um, I, I am increasingly and continuously concerned with the amount of struggles that I hear about firsthand, divorces that are happening or about to happen or could happen, relational struggles, challenges, And I just want you to know, if you walked in here, if you're divorced, you're on the other side of it. God loves you. There's no shame here. God can still restore you. Um, If you're here, man, you're fighting for your marriage. You're fighting for a relationship. I want you to know, man, God is able to move in that situation. And you need to believe that he can change things that seem like they're too far gone. I'm just telling you, I was a person that was too far gone. And Jesus changed my life. And if he can change mine, he can change yours. Come on, somebody. So... I started this past week, I was doing a, a Google search and intentionally I pushed this in. And some of you know this, when you start to fill in on Google, it will autofill for you. It'll show you a list of the top things that are in the same vein of what you're searching for. And so I intentionally typed in the correct way to, the correct way to. And I just wanted to see what would autofill. And right away, several things popped up. The autofill, um, a couple I can't talk about because we're in church. One, I don't need to talk about because it's a settled debate and you're wrong or you agree with me. And it's, is toilet paper the correct way to put on toilet paper? Is it over or under? Where's all the people who say over? Where's all the people who don't love Jesus? There you go. So, but here's what's interesting is, is three or four down was the correct way. Watch this. The correct way to steer a car. I was kind of shocked by that. I mean, it seems like second nature. It seems easy. I don't know if we need Google searches for that. I don't know if we really need articles written on it, but you'd be shocked how many people have written articles on the correct placement of your hands. They call it the wheel technique. Wheel technique. And here's, here's what you need to know, and some of you need to hear this. Uh, you shouldn't drive with one hand. And I'm gonna ask you to confess it before your, your friends and your family members, your brothers, how many people drive with one hand? Sweet Lord, you're in the right place today. Yeah. <laughs> Shoals, Lawrenceburg, I'm sure there's a lot of hands there. One hand, you know, a lot of people drive uh, at 12. If you get really lazy, you drive at six. You get really lazy, you don't even drive with a whole hand on six. It's just kind of like two fingers. So that's wrong, and, and we know this, right? You're not supposed to drive with one hand. You're supposed to drive with with two hands, and your hands are supposed to be It's not 10 and two anymore. They've changed it, they've updated it. You didn't think they could update the wheel technique, but now it's nine and three. In fact, in the research I found, and I actually spent time reading this, if if you drive long distance, they recommend that you go eight and four. It minimizes muscle fatigue and injury. I'm just telling you, if you're getting injured holding a steering wheel, that's a good sign you're out of shape. But I mean, if you're driving long distances. And so here's what you need to hear, right? Like, it's, it's funny, because I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. I just grew up. It's just the way I grew up. I drive with generally one hand, kind of like 130, and lean just a little bit. But it's supposed to be two hands. There's, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. It's, again, it's just comedic to me to think about that probably many of us in this room and at our campuses, the where you place the hands on the steering wheel, it has far more to do with culture or what's comfortable cultural or comfortable, like you saw someone else lean in with one hand, that's just what you picked up and that's how you've been driving for 10, 20, 30 years, or, you know, what's, co- what's comfortable. It's just comfortable for you to, to drive with one hand, but there's a correct way to do it. And we need to move towards the correct way. And that's the same conversation I wanna have because the same way that you can uh, steer your car, there's a correct way to steer your relationships. And what I have found is, in, in reading these articles, that a large contribution to accidents is putting your hands on the wrong place in the steering wheel. It actually contributes to accidents. And here's what I know is the same way that cars are experiencing accidents because people aren't driving right, relationships are struggling because people aren't steering them right. So today I want to step into a conversation about the power of relationships and how God wants us to steer the relationships that you and I are in. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be there for a few minutes and just bounce around. But I want you to notice something that when when I say the word relationships, there's probably lots of immediate responses. Some of you, you're you're for relationships. You have relationships. Some of you in this room and you're struggling in your relationships. Some of you don't have relationships and you wanna find out how to get them. Some of you have them and you wanna find out how to get rid of them. Some of you have them and if you're honest, you're about to lose them and you don't wanna lose relationships you have. And when I say relationships, uh, again, God gave, and we're gonna see this, God gave us relationships, God gave us people in our life. And it's easy to allow those things to slip away and miss something really significant in our life. And what I want you to know when we talk about relationships because I'm only covering one message in this this, uh, conversation, we're talking really about marriages, but I'm talking about friendships, I'm talking about brothers and sisters, family members, brothers and sisters in Christ, any key relationship you have in your life will really fit in this conversation. And here, what you need to hear out of the gate is that you are created, you and I, we are created for connection. Everybody say that. We are created for It's in your DNA. It's the way God wired you. It's who you are. You might be hearing, you're like, pastor, like I could do without, like I'd be very comfortable just to go live alone and never see anybody. Like you've had fantasies of living on an island and never have to deal with anybody again. And I'm just, I know we all have different personalities and some of us are outgoing, some of us are more reserved. But at the end of the day, every single person, no matter how old you are, how young you are, no matter your life experience, every single one of us, we are created for connection. I want you to see this in Genesis chapter two. It says this, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who's just right for him. So the Lord God calls the man to fall into a deep sleep and he never woke up. There's no recording in scripture he ever woke up and all the wives said, amen. (laughs) While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. I read this and I thought he was a heavy sleeper. This is me. (laughs) Snatched the rib out of him. He just never even woke up came to and there's a woman next to him. This explains why it says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So when I say that we were, we were created for connection, again, when you, when you read scripture and you see everything that God says about us, Again, it's it's our genetic code, it's who we are. We have been created in the image of our creator. He has passed on to us part of who he is. Now, we're not God, you're not God, but in a limited fashion, part of who he is, part of how he operates, his attributes have been passed on to us and part of it is relationship. God is a God of relationship. When you look at the scripture, God in himself, God has relationship with himself. In the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are in perfect relationship throughout eternity. It's not just relationship uh, with God, but God has relationship with us. When you look at the way God talks about you and I, talks about the relationship he has with us, he uses relational terminology. Did you know that? doesn't just say, hey, we're close, or use words like this, that we are sons of God. When God looks at you, all of us, and you put your faith in Jesus, we are sons of God. We're the bride of Christ. We're a friend of God. So everywhere you look in scripture, there's all this terminology to help us to understand that God intended us so much to be relational because he's relational that he even relates to us in relationship terms. We are relational people. We were, again, created for connection. It's who we are. But here's what you need to know is it wasn't enough for God to have relationship with himself and God to have relationship with his creation. God wants us to experience relationship. Now, the challenge, and I recognize even saying that there's some of you who are hearing this, you're like, yeah, because you have good relationships. You got a best friend. You got a person that you hang out with. You got your ride or die. You got your bestie. You got a great spouse. You got some good people in your life. And some of you here, you don't have that. You're struggling and you're doing life alone. or You've gone through a divorce. Or you're about to get a divorce. And the idea that you were wired for, cre- uh, for a connection, that you were created for connection, that God wants you to have a relationship, right now you don't want to hear anything about it because that's the last thing you think you can have, should have, or want to have. And I want to say to everybody in this room, God wired you. God made you. God created you for connection and relationship. And so we see that God lays everything out. And I want you to notice this. It's not just what he hopes we have. God doesn't just desire relationship for us. God says it's really a necessity. Notice Genesis 2.18 again. It says, then the Lord God said, come on, every voice at every campus, read this. Then the Lord God said, it is, what is it? It's not good for the man or people to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. And so when God says it's not good, this is, this is kind of crazy. God uses this word, six days of creation, five days in a row. When he gets to the end, he looks at everything he made and he says, it is good. Looks at everything he made. It is good. He gets to day number six where he makes humanity. And lays out, puts Adam in this perfect paradise that up to that point was good. And then he looks at Adam and says, it's not good. And he goes it goes from being not good when God gives. Humanity gives you an eye of the five that we're to fight for, it goes from being not good to very good. And the gap between you experiencing life from being not good to very good is relationship. The key to your life, thriving of succeeding, is relationship. What God wants you to experience with brothers in Christ, with sisters in Christ, with great family members, with friends who have your back 24-7, who won't walk out on you, with a spouse who's there for you. And I know some of you go like, I wish I could have that. I just want you to know that God created you to have it wants you to have it, wants you to fight to keep it. And if you don't fight to keep it, you'll lose it. What I've called us together today to do is to join the fight club and let's get back to fighting for our relationships because it's what God wants for us is to experience connection. (laughs) It's not good. It's not good for mankind to be alone. And I'm gonna say something that's kind of uh, gonna be offensive, but let me just explain it. If you're taking notes, you're not complete if you don't connect Because God created you for connection Listen to this You're not complete If you don't connect Now the reason I know this, this might be offensive is, is because some of you here again Maybe you're on the other side of divorce Right now you describe your life as alone Or maybe you don't have a lot of friends or Don't want any friends And you're okay with that And you feel like wait a minute Or maybe you're here And you don't want to get married Have no plans on getting married And so maybe this is offensive to you But let me just explain this There's lots of relationships in our life. Again, whether it's relationships through marriage, relationships through friends, et cetera. And your personal need determines your people need. Your personal need determines your people need. So if you're here, I'm not saying that you have to be married to be complete. I'm not saying that, but you need to be connected to be complete. You don't have to be married, but you still need a best friend. You don't, be, you don't have to be married. If you're at one of our campuses and like you want to be celibate, you don't feel called to be married, you don't ever want to be married, or you got married once, it just wasn't for you, you don't have to be married, but you do need to be connected. Again, when God looked at creation, he said, it's good. It's complete. And outside of being connected, we're not complete. It's how God wired us. It's not good for us, he said, it's not good for us to be alone. Everybody shout alone. Alone in contrast to being apart. He says, I want you to be a part of something, not apart. You need to be a part of a relationship, not apart from relationship. And way too many of us live busy lives, overwhelmed lives. Our, our schedules are packed. We wake up early, we run, we scatter throughout the day, we hit the gym. A lot of times alone, we really have no significant relationship to speak of, and God says, hey, the life you're living, it's not the way I designed it. The relationships you're missing are key to the success that I want you to experience. It's not good for you to be alone. And he goes from this idea of us, it's not good for us to be alone. He says this, watch this, I think this is great. He says, I will make a helpmate so God looks at Adam sitting there and says, hey, it's not good to be alone. And God provides a relationship. He said, it's not good to be alone. I'm gonna make a helpmate that's just right for you. I believe this with all of my heart, that God has a person that's just right for you. And maybe you didn't find him yet. You need to keep looking. If you already married them, too late, that's yours for life. So I say, keep looking. Don't say, well, pa- pastor said I can Keep looking. <laughs> Contacts people. But if you don't have this, I'm just telling you, it's, it's what you need to hear today out of the gate is it's, it's how you're created, it's how you're wired, it's who your God is, it's what he's put in you. And some of the lack of peace that's, that sometimes we experience, we may not always be able to put our finger on it, but a lot of us, we are so busy or so distracted or so disconnected, we are missing a key part of who God created us to be. And that void is creating some, some waves of challenges, depression and discouragement. I'm just telling you, you're some things in your life that you're not able to overcome without somebody in your life standing beside you. God said, I've got a helper for you. I have somebody you need. It's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make somebody to stand alongside of you. You need them. I need them. We just need to find out who they are. I got my ride or die. I've got a great family. I got some great friends. I wish everybody in this room had the relationships I have. I'm not perfect, but I'm surrounded by good people and I know the difference. A spouse who loves you, friends who support you, family members that have your back. It is a life change." and a difference maker find your people and fight for your family fight for your family notice what ecclesiastes says about this helper he says i'll make a helper let me just say this real quick the word helper when god looks at adam and says i'll make a helper for you is the only time it's used to describe a person every other time the word helper is used you know it describes god himself 10 times just in the book of Psalms, the Bible says God is our ever-present help in time of need. He is our help and our shield. He is our help and he is our strength. So David said, there's a helper. So I'm just telling you, I want you to know what you can expect. Not you can expect your friends and family members to be God to you, but you can expect a significant uh, upgrade by having the right friends in your life. God was the difference maker to David and your helper can be the difference maker to you. Here's what Ecclesiastes says about the power of of the right relationship in your life. In Ecclesiastes, it says this. Come on, every voice, let's read it. It says, two people are better off than one. Now, if you've ever said, I don't need anybody, you're disagreeing with what God said. I don't need anybody. I'm good alone. I'm better off by myself. I can get more done without you here. Well, that's a different conversation. My wife says that to me sometimes. <laughs> it just overflowed from my heart. And I just want you to hear me. Listen, if you're here, I'm just trying to set this up front. If you're here and you've written off people, you've written off relationships, you got hurt not only once but twice, friends stabbed you in the back, and you've just written people off, like you're just done, you've tapped out, I'm telling you, you are going contrary to what God wants for your life. If if you're here and you're saying, I'm good alone, you're not, two are better than one. Everybody shout that, two are better than one, for they can help each other. You see that word help? What do helpers do? Helpers help. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. It's not a matter in this life if you fall. It's a matter when. You will, I will, we will experience seasons of tripping and stumbling and falling. And if you fall alone, you're in real trouble. But if you have somebody there You have your ride or die. You have your bestie. You have a spouse in your corner. Two is better than one. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. If someone who falls alone is in real trouble, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Notice he gives three really clear, the writer of this gives three really clear examples and says this, I know you think you can do life alone. I know you think you're okay doing this life alone, but he says there are some successes you can't experience alone, there are some recoveries you can't experience alone, and there are some victories that you can't experience alone. All of us fight, all of us fall, and all of us have a plan and purpose for our life, and God says until you get the right person by your side, there is only a certain level of success that you can experience on your own. Own. But when you have someone else with you, you can go to a whole nother level. Come on, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000. So if you find the right person to do life with, if you find the right connection, it is a difference maker. Who's your other? Who's your number two? Who's your number two? Again, we all fight. We all go through spiritual battles. We all go through physical battles. We go through emotion, emotional battles. And the Bible says, when you go through these battles, listen, you're, you're just going to be conquered. But when you can stand back to back to somebody, somebody there to encourage you and love you, everybody needs relationships. There's four levels, real quick, of relationships. There's no no relationship. That's a level. Some of you are there. It's no good. Doing life alone is not good. Some of you have no relationships. Some of you have bad relationships. There's people in your life, but they're pulling you the wrong direction. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. You can only make good decisions when you're surrounded by good people. Again, sometimes the right wisdom, the right people who are surrounding you, encouraging you, praying for you, giving you wisdom, it's the difference you make. But if you've got the wrong people in your life, they're gonna take you the wrong direction. So there's no relationship. There's bad relationship. There's good relationships, and good is good. But I, you, you, ever, you ever have that person in your life, and I have some of these, that you get together, you've not seen them for a long time, and you laugh, you have a good time, but they don't really make you any better, just like you just lived through some memories. But then there's the people in your life, the fourth level are God relationships. No relationships, bad relationships, good relationships, and God relationships. The God relationship is the person that God designed you before they were born, before you were born. God intends you to be each other's helpmate. It's that friend, it's that bestie. And when you find each other and you live life for each other, when you are married and you have your spouse's back, no matter what, sickness or health, good or bad, no matter what success or failure we face, we're gonna do this thing together. God says that is the difference maker. That is the secret sauce in life is having somebody else. Who is your number two? Because you better have them. And the challenge is again, unfortunately, I think we're living in a society and culture that a lot of us are struggling with relationships. And if God created somebody to be your helper, and you could have more than one helper, but if God created people in your life to be your helper, you better believe the devil doesn't want us to experience, our spiritual enemy does not want us to experience what God created us for. So if he's going to fight you, he's going to fight you in the five. So if he's fighting against the five and you're not fighting for the five, you will lose the five. If you're not fighting for your friendships and fighting for your family and fighting for your marriage, you are, you are running the risk of running off the road. Your hands are on the wheel, but I'm telling you, you're just gonna, it's a matter of time for you to run off the road. But if you'll fight for the people that God has put in your life, your helper Your significant others. I'm just telling you, it is the greatest gift you can ever give yourself is the fight for the family that God has for you. You gotta fight for your marriage. Are you fighting? We live in a world right now. I know y'all are paying attention, but we live in a world right now where it's a cancel culture. Everybody experiences, everybody experiences one time or another, Is, is that relationship rejection. Sometimes it's people rejecting us, sometimes it's us rejecting other people. In Lawrenceburg and Shoals, I know there's some of you sitting in this room and we live in this culture right now where we give up too easy, We don't fight enough. We live in a divorce culture, a cancel culture, an unfriend culture, and that's all of us. And it is becoming increasingly easy to walk away from relationships and we don't realize what we're sacrificing when we turn and when we walk away. A lot of us believe I'll be happier if I walk away from this relationship. And there are toxic relationships. Come on, somebody. Some of you are sitting next to them. There are difficult relationships and you need to work through those. But the answer of just walking away every time somebody hurts you, going to the court, running to the courthouse and talking to a lawyer, every time you don't get along with your spouse, I'm just telling you, we got to turn that junk around. Right now, there's lots of studies being done. We as a culture, I'm talking about the culture we live in right here in America, where we have less friendships and less relationships than we've ever had. Less people are getting married, less people are staying married, and less people have friends. The average person has 338 connections on social media, 338 connections on social media. The average person who has 338 connections on social media says they only have two close friends, which means there's a lot of us that have have people around us, but we're not really connected. They're They're not our helper. They're not going to be there for, them, for you and you're not going to be there for them. I'm not talking about the 336. I'm talking about the two. Who are they in your life? Are you their helper and are they your helper? We live in a, again, this season where not only are, people say they only have two friends, 25% of Americans say they have no friends at all. I got nobody. Who would you call if you got in trouble? Nobody. Who do you, who do you turn to when you need somebody to talk to? Nobody. So, if that holds true in this room, holds true in Lawrenceburg, holds true in Shoals, that means today there's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to 800 people in our campuses that have no friends. And I'm talking to some of you and you're married, but like y'all just pass each other in the night. You don't talk, you don't have a relationship. Again, you have people on social media that you're connected to, but there's no real friendship there. And we are missing something that God created us to have. We live in this divorce culture. Right now, 35 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. And if you're here and you're not married and the, and the world's telling you, now don't get married because everybody just gets divorced anyways. How about you be different? Let's lean into God's grace. Let's fight the way he wants us to fight. And while 50% may lose their marriage, not me and not my house. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. I'm gonna keep my marriage. I'm gonna fight for my friendships and I'm gonna hold my family together. Come on, let's be the 50% that succeed. But here's what's crazy is while 50% of marriages, first time marriages fail, 60% of second time marriages fail. Are you ready? 70% of third time marriages fail. I don't know if y'all see the trend that we're going like, but here's what's important. We are taught that the more you do something, the easier it gets. Well, the more you do marriage, it doesn't get easier, the worse it gets. Because if you can't save the first one, you're not going to save the second one. The, the same thing that probably ran you off the first time is going to run you off again. And if you couldn't tolerate it two times, it's just a matter of time for you to walk away from a third marriage. Instead of going two, three, four and seeing how many we can get together, let's fight for the one that we have. Let's stay married. Let's fight for our family. Let's hold it together with the grace of God. His blessing is a difference maker in our homes. Come on, y'all. Fight for your marriage. And so how do we do that? What does it look like to fight for our marriage, to fight for our relationships? I could give you, I went through all kinds of things. And if you've been here long enough, I do a relationship series, usually once a year, at least every other year. And we've gone through the four A's, acceptance and affection and attraction. We've gone through the three C's, communication, and connection, I mean, we're like, You can go back and listen. And I thought, Lord, what's the stuff you want me to share today? And I'm gonna give you just two principles. And I believe these two principles will work for any single relationship, especially marriage, but will work for any relationship because you were designed for marriage or designed for relationship. These are the two things that I think we should all work on to make the relationships God's blessed us with better so we can experience the helper God wants us to be or to have and to be the helper God wants us to be. If you have a helper, you're called to be a helper. If you have a helper, which means you have somebody beside you, you need to quit focusing just on what they're doing for you and we need to start focusing on what we're doing for them. We live in a culture, have you ever noticed, we always worry about what everybody else is doing? I I don't care about how I'm driving, I'm just worried about how everybody else is driving. Listen, I'm just like, don't make me a police officer. I won't even make it home, I won't even go home for the first month. Everybody's getting a ticket if I'm a police officer. If I'm not a police officer, can I get like anybody here wish you had like fender-mounted machine guns? And just like just nobody. <laughs> like I just drive the perfect speed. If you're going slower than me, move. Get out the way. And if you're going too if you're going fast me, my God, where are you going in such a rush? Slow down before you kill somebody. Alright, right? we think we're the standard. The challenge is we're focused on everybody, how everybody else is driving instead of focused on how we're driving. The problems with the relationships is we're worried about what our spouse is and isn't doing. We're worried about what our friends said or didn't say. We're worried about how our family members are treating us. And I'm just telling you, if our if our relationships are going to get better, we got to stop looking at how our helper is helping us and start looking at how we're helping those we're called to help. What is your responsibility? Our relationships are part of our stewardship. How you handle the gift of relationship is one of the things that you're going to give an account to God for. And if you're going to give an account to God for it, I believe with all my heart, he's going to grace you to succeed. He's going to bless you to have the relationship he wants you to have. But you got to look in the mirror and say, what is my role? What is my responsibility? So two things. Number one, are you ready? And I don't do this one good. Generally if I stand on this platform, if I'm preaching it, I'm living it. And generally I can say with some level of confidence, I'm probably doing decent. I don't do great here. So let's skip number one and go directly to number two. (laughs) My wife is going to run a lap when I say number one. Number one, number one is be present. Be present. Think about the day and age that we live in, the power of presence. Let's just take us off the table and just think about the power of presence, the power of really being in the room, the power of really being by each other. Again, this is who the God we serve is. In the very beginning, God was with Adam. He walked with him in the cool of the day. God didn't have to do that. Adam obviously knew who his creator was, but God said, no, no, I'm gonna come where you are. I'm gonna make my presence. My, even though I'm an omnipresent, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my presence local so we can be together. Jesus, when Jesus came... The Bible tells us in Matthew that when Jesus was about to be born, he had instruction, his parents had instruction. It says, you're gonna call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. There's something about presence. There's something about being with somebody in the room. I know I know. for me, again, I, I, I talk to my parents on the phone from time to time, but there's nothing like going home once or twice a year and seeing my parents and hugging my parents and seeing my brothers. I can talk to them on the phone. I can text them. I can send them messages. I can send them goofy memes. I can send them little TikTok videos, but there's something about presence, being face to face with somebody and loving them. And we live in a culture and a society that we are too busy to be present. And if we're going to have relationships the way God wants us to have them, we have to be present. Everybody say present. 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 We have to be present. And And when I say present, again, we do digital great. And I'm not talking about thumbs to thumbs or screen to screen. I'm talking about face to face. God wants us to make time in our relationships to be face-to-face. And if you don't have a lot of quantity time, then make it quality time. If you are on your phone in the presence of your helper, you need to put your phone down because the people probably that has your attention aren't your helpers, won't be your helpers. They're gonna be people pulling from you. You need people that are deposited in you and that person's sitting right in front of you. Come on, somebody. You need to be present in relationships. Yeah. If you'll, do, if you'll do face-to-face instead of screen-to-screen, if you do it right in the marriage, it'll make you belly button-to-belly button. That's a different message, but that's a good one. <laughs> Speak it like it's plain, pastor. Speak it like it's plain. Listen to this. Genesis 2.24. Uh, Genesis this explains... Everybody listen to this. This explains... While a, man, while a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Everything in your life cannot have equal attention. I got to give my work attention, and I got to give my kids attention, and we got to give their ball club attention, and we got to give travel ball attention, and I got to give the gym attention, and we got to give food attention, and I got to give some sleep attention, and I got to wash some clothes attention, and I got to mow the yard attention, and there are all kinds of things pulling on your life, and they're all important, and you got you to allocate your time somehow. I understand that, but after you've paid everybody else, if you've not left resource of time, FaceTime specifically, for your helper, that relationship is diminishing and not increasing and you are on your way to losing the most important thing you have if you have a job but don't have your spouse if you got travel ball but you don't have your best friend you lose because you are created for travel ball and you are created for a lot of the other things we're fighting for but you are created for the marriage you're in i know your i know your spouse hurt you offended you upset you i'm about to get to number two in a second but right now what would happen If you said, hey, I'm just going to do some some daddy-daughter dates, relationship. Instead of your kids just watching you run in and out into situations, make time for your kids. Grab your kid. This is a double dog dare you. They'll act like they don't like it. They'll pull away. They'll make faces. But I promise you, deep down on the inside, they love it. Grab your kid. Hug him as hard as you can. And don't let go for at least 20 seconds. Then do that with your spouse. Do that with your best friend. Next time you see your best friend, don't be like, hey, what's up? Grab them, put your arm around him, and hug them. On, and hold on, be present. There's something powerful about presence. And if you'll watch our culture, personal presence is on the decline. Is it just a coincidence that relationships are on the same decline? Absolutely not. The lack of time we're investing in relationships is directly leading to the loss of the relationships we're not spending time with. Put down your phone and be present. I'm, listen, I'm there, Zzz, ding. I'm like, that could be the president. He may need something from me, it's really important. It'll wait, it'll wait. Be present, everybody shout, be present. Be but my husband don't talk to me, we're not talking about him, I'm talking about you. You be present, be present. Number two, be proactive, be proactive. You know, the funny thing is that everybody in this room, you know the state of your, relation, your most significant relationships. You know, it's not a secret. It's not like, well, I think maybe we're okay. You know, you know if you're okay or you know if you don't. You know if your marriage is in a great spot or you know if it isn't. You know your, your relationship with your best friend, you know it's in a great spot or you know it isn't. What i am come to tell you today is if you're going to fight for the relationship God created you, wired you, and designed you to have, you have to be proactive. You have to fight for relationships. Watch this. The natural state of relationship is they're pulling apart. If you don't do anything to a relationship, does it get better or get worse? It gets worse. So it's always naturally declining, which means somebody has to be there to fight to make it better. And the hope is you have two people fighting, but if nobody else fights, I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to fight for it. Look at God. Look at the example God gives us. In the beginning, God creates everything perfect. In God's creation, Adam and Eve rebel against their Creator. They ignore the principles He gives. They violate the word that He gives. They break His law. And God could have very easily looked at Adam and, Eve and said, "You know what? You made your bed. You lie in it. You chose your sin. Fine." I'll get rid of you and start over. I'll get rid of you and find another creation. I'll make another, know what he did? He got proactive. He immediately said, took an animal and sacrificed that animal to cover the nakedness and the shame and avenue. It was 0% his problem, but he was 100% the solution. I'm just saying, if you're always looking for the other person to say they're sorry, they may not. And if you don't say you're sorry and they don't say they're sorry, you lose, be proactive. you're taking notes, last thing I want you to write down. People execute too little for others and expect too much from others. People execute too little for others and expect too much from others. We're just always worried about what everybody else is doing for us. We blame everybody else for the state of the relationship. And I'm just asking what would happen if in your marriage, if in your friendships, your key friendships, key family members, if you said, I'm gonna take responsibility. When people come and see me, this'll keep some of you from coming to see me because you can just do this on your own instead of me telling you when you're sitting in front of me. I'm not saying don't come see me, I'm just, this is what's gonna happen. People come, Pastor, I'm in a marriage and we're struggling and they'll give me all the reasons, this is why it's not working, this is what he's not doing, this is what she's not doing, this is why we're not getting along. And after I hear people's story, I ask them a question. Cause most people when they come, they'll tell me all the stuff their spouse is doing wrong and not doing right. And I'll ask them, I'll say, hey, make a circle. And I already made a circle. Pull out a piece of paper and I say, make a circle. And I'll say, this circle is your relationship. It's all the fight. it's all the intimacy, it's all the good, it's all the bad, it's all the everything. It's all the challenges, all the disagreements, all the misunderstandings, this is your relationship. I, and I'll hand him a pen or marker, and i say, I want you to show me like a pie graph what percentage of the relationship is you. It's not all your spouse. What percentage is you? And nobody ever goes over half. <laughs> By the way, most people will do something like this. They'll say, well, if I was to say, what's wrong with our relationship? I'll say this this amount right here. And I'll say this, then you need to quit worrying about all of this, what she isn't doing, what they aren't doing, how they're acting, how they're not communicating, how they sex isn't good, intimacy isn't good, they're not talking, they don't return phone calls, I text, they don't text back. This is your response. This is what you'll be held accountable for. And what would happen if you own this piece 100%? Because what I find is most people, They start giving up on this when they think their partner's giving up on this. And what I'm telling you is you gotta fight when your partner doesn't fight because there are gonna be times they fight when you're not fighting. And if we'll fight together for the relationships God's God's given us, if we'll fight for the five, we can have life and have it to the full. So here's a question. If this is your bar graph or pie graph, what part is your responsibility? And more, what would happen if you just didn't own this piece I'm gonna say something probably controversial. What would happen if you said, I'm gonna take responsibility for all of it? I didn't start the fight. I apologize, and tried to get out of it, but instead of just washing my hands and walking away, I'm gonna keep fighting for all of it because it's not good for me to be alone. It's miserable to be divorced. You think divorce is the answer? Go talk to some divorced people. Let me just give you 30 seconds and I'll close. As your pastor, I just don't understand it. Men, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you you are married to a beautiful woman and you have gorgeous kids. If I see one more guy have an affair and I'm like, you have eyes look at the girl you're having an affair with because the girl you were married with was far more beautiful and you have two three four beautiful kids who adore you you have crushed the world i promise you you have impacted the rest of their life their life will never be the same be the same because you were selfish you're worth fighting for your relationships worth fighting for your marriage is worth fighting for your kids are worth fighting for and when you throw it all away for a fling for a one-night stand for a get-together with someone else that you think is better than the one you have yeah the grass is greener on the other side because there's more manure on that side of the fence and the problem with the new relationship you're going into you're in that one too and if the last one fell apart you played a part in it because it takes two to tango and because you're in the relationship and you didn't fight for the last one makes you think you're gonna fight for this one let's rather turn it around i'm gonna believe god for a blessing on my life a grace on my relationship i'm gonna be graceful i'm gonna be forgiving but from now on i'm gonna be present in the room in the moment and i'm gonna be proactive to fight for my responsibility be present and be proactive If you're in this room or you're one of our campuses and you're honest enough, say, pastor, I need to be more present than I am and or I need to be more proactive than I am. I want you to stand to your feet. I need to be more present than I am. I need to be more proactive than I am. I want you to jump to your feet for your relationships. No pressure if you're not standing, but you're not being truthful. So that's a good invitation to say, I need to stand up. If someone sees beside you, put some pressure on them, mean mug them. <laughs> really, he's going to sit there, huh? <laughs> I walked in this place with such a burden. I wish I could fix the relationship that you're struggling with. I wish I could. I wish I could step in and magically make it better. I can't, but there's someone who can. Jesus never stepped into a situation that wasn't better when he walked away from it. you got to let Jesus work God will you take what's broken in me will you take what's hurting will you take that part of me that's disillusioned will you take that part of me that's bruised will you take that part of me that's offended will you take that part of me that's holding unforgiveness God will you help me to quit focusing on the helper that I've been given and focus on the helper you've called me to be Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over every single relationship, but Lord, specifically marriages in this room. I pray that marriages that are struggling, God, I pray that every single couple would recognize that it is a, in part a spiritual fight. It is sometimes selfishness. It is sometimes bad attitude. It is sometimes miscommunication. But at the heart of it, there is an enemy fighting to rob you of the relationships your God created you to walk in. And I pray that God, you will give us the tenacity to fight like never before for the marriages we have, the friendships we have, and the relationships you've given us. Just this week, God, help us to be present in the moment. I pray we'll have a date time. I pray we'll make an intentional connection face-to-face. And in the moment, we'll be there with that person. And when struggle comes and challenges come and difficulties come, we will be proactive. We won't leave it up to them to fight. We will do the fighting because we were created for connection. So Lord, will you bless every relationship in this room? I speak healing over every marriage in the mighty name of Jesus. In Shoals, Lawrenceburg, in Florence, every single person watching online, bless our relationships the way you intended them to be blessed in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. 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 Come on, somebody.